talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of More Like the Worst Wing. I am one of your hosts, Stu. And I'm Dave. The other host. Today we're going to tackle what is a very um, scattershot and unfocused episode of the West Wing that throws a lot of almost throwaway information at us that will eventually be pertinent, but for now kind of kicks you in the balls. (laughs) Yes, uh, this episode is entitled Five Votes Down, uh, which refers to one of the legal conflicts that uh, our characters find themselves in. But we start off with uh, President Bartlett giving a speech uh, about... (laughs) Uh, guns uh, in front of some form of audience uh, with a banner behind him that is quite possibly the best two-word damning indictment of centrism I've ever seen that reads practical idealism (laughs) (laughs) turn down for what? (laughs) (laughs) just the most inspiring like gung-ho slogan I've ever heard in my life man I'm ready to go out and (laughs) Fucking a las barricadas here. Like oh it's time. It's time to fuck some people up. No. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and everyone, everyone at this event, God knows what it is, is in a tuxedo. God knows or how a fancy much money they've paid per plate. <laughs> For real. And he's, you know, he gives a speech, and it's like, okay, the tone is okay. It's just the cadence is weird. And then afterwards, they wrap up and they kind of set the stage for the rest of the episode, doing an extended walk and talk. Um, as they leave this, what I'm assuming is through the back, back of house in what I'm assuming is a hotel or an event space. Sort of like a reverse Goodfellas shot in a sense, where instead of coming in through back of house, they're leaving through back of house. Well, yeah, exactly. And I actually only noticed this when I was writing up, when I was thinking about it, it has, and I doubt this is, um, intentional because it's very much, uh, it's just stereotypical, but it had... Tremendous um, RFK assassination overtones. Like, there's that footage of when Bobby Kennedy was shot, of them, like, walking through. There's all these pictures of them walking through the back of the house Mm. um, at the Beverly, or whatever. Is the Beverly Hilton? Wherever um, Saran Saran shot Bobby Kennedy, the the setup looked super similar to this. Like, there were crowds that they were kind of navigating through. And And given that he's speaking about guns, too, you know, it it does echo of it a little. Yeah, no, it, it, it it triggered that thought in my brain, being like, "Huh, this is this could be referential." There's also a weird, um, I mean, we mentioned kind of like a weird tone shift with the interaction mm-hmm. of the like the administration here, where they're just like kind of joshing each other and going around. It's like, I don't think uh, it doesn't strike me as a very Bartlett thing to like be joking with his staffers in this sense. No, I mean he's he is portrayed as like this jovial president who's always willing to joke, make a jokey joke before he really like digs into the substance of whatever they want to talk about. So yeah, it just I think less... that's just more there to keep it casual for the viewer kind of thing. True, it seemed a little less formal than I was expecting, but you know, again, we're trying to. I imagine they're trying to, you know, deflate that tone a, a little bit and just be like, hey, these characters, you know, they know how right. to they're at a party and like there's i think they're trying to ease us into the workplace comedy aspect of it of just like hey they're a family at the end of the day kind of thing yeah and there's god there's some atrocious dubbing in this scene where it's literally like a 
like a, I have to go now. My planet needs me. But Bartlett's mouth is moving and the wrong words are coming out. It just seemed super unsorkin because he is like, he's obsessed with the words that he uses. Right. And it's like, you fucked up the sound of kind of the production side of this. Yeah. So it, whatever. Based on everything we've heard from the technical end of uh, the West Wing weekly podcast, you know, I have to assume that's a rare error because they're usually pretty anal about the technical end of the filming. Yeah, and things. I'm actually I'm kind of surprised I noticed that there was another thing later where there was some awful lighting. I think during the press conference scene with CJ where it's like, I physically, you can't see her face in this place. Yeah, it's, it's like, weird. So, it feels like it's supposed to be stormy outside or something, <laughs> but it's perfectly normal out. So it's, it's very weird that we get this dark, weird, yeah, dramatic lighting, in, like the, lighting in the offices and in the press room towards the later half of this episode. I guess yeah. it's supposed to be a mood thing because like things are not going well for uh, for everyone, but... Yeah, I mean, you, it's you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to hit us over the head with it. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. anyway, so now that we've spent about four minutes talking about the opening walk and talk, <laughs> um, so uh, they they find out during said walk and talk that they're five votes down on a key bit of legislation, specifically uh, gun control legislation that is going to ban specific guns from being sold. Um, they w- thought they had it in the bag. Five yay votes have flipped to nay, uh, and now. This is the crisis of the episode. Yeah, and it'll it'll be threaded throughout a bunch of other stuff happening, um, and we'll also see, you know, a little bit of how the how the old sausage is made, and there's some personal stuff going on. But I think we're gonna address these sort of like as individual times because it actually aligns with the structure of this episode, sort right. of chronologically, pretty well. So yeah. So then our other main running through this besides the gun control legislation is the annual financial disclosure report that CJ is forced to make to the press, uh, basically disclosing what White House salaries are, any gifts they've received, you know, various financial... It's a routine thing that happens every year. Uh, And the problem, there's a problem this time because Toby has recently come into some stock wealth uh, based on a tip given to him by a friend uh, and said friend came and spoke at in front of Congress, uh, and it's raising a specter of impropriety, of insider trading, essentially. Yeah, and, I mean, so, <laughs> this, this, this runs throughout it, and it's just like... It's cute, right? <laughs> yeah, watching this, watching this now, it's like, oh my god, because not only is the potential, like, the, the, the realized gain of this is so minimal. I mean, granted, you know, we saw fucking Paul Manafort, sell his soul for like an ostrich skin jacket or whatever but like <laughs> at the same time it's just like it's so minimal and the connection is so tenuous so tenuous it's just like i don't i don't know like this guy gave a talk and like he i i bought a stock like completely unrelated to like they're you, you have to literally fall it's almost like this would they lived happen. on the same block together they never <laughs> even worked at a company together they never like exchanged direct money together like yeah they like this lived is the thing close to each other you you would think that this would be the situation where it's like actually we've really got to see like a quid pro quo here because there is like we're reading a whole hell of a lot into this <laughs> yeah it's it, really not there again it's just sort of cute uh particularly viewing it from a 2018 lens yeah. of yeah. Uh, corruption <laughs> And, um, I mean, you, you made a note that it's like, it's there, people are so concerned with propriety. Right. Um, and specifically laws, you know, no matter how minor the law, they always, you know, joke about, basically they, they think that they're going to be arrested if they break any tiny, tiny law, 
you know, we'll see this in future episodes where they're like, uh-oh, we're drinking on the steps of the building we live in. This is technically breaking federal law. <laughs> you know, like, they bring it up all the time, and it's like, no, you're not going to get in trouble for, like, these minor, minor issues you're talking about. Like, don't... It's it's so... It's this bizarre it, sense of decorum and, you know, oh, I, I abide by every single rule, even the tiny ones. It's like, I am more proper than you, and therefore I hold the high ground here. And, it, you know, it, it informs the philosophy. Of... It's a running theme throughout the show, of just like how many times they bring up that, oh, well, such and such would break federal law. And if you did that in the White House, it would be a big problem. And again, just seems cute from a 2018 lens. And the last major plot that we should discuss is Leo. This is really, in a sense, Leo's episode. He has a lot to deal with here. Not only is he taking point in the gun control legislation and rounding up the five votes, um, he's also go undergoing significant personal issues uh, with his wife. Um, and you wrote in the notes here, and you summed it up perfectly, of uh, a this boomer fear of... Uh, the workaholic boomer with an upset wife. It's yeah, and it's it seems just so. I mean, it's a it's a trope. Yes, you know it, it happens, and this is something that people are conditioned to relate to. But it's so incongruous in this setting because these people are understood to. I mean, again, I'm I'm kind of dating myself pre-escalator here, but like these people are understood to be you know the most competent and intelligent people in the room. But this is such a banal problem and such a, like, just a trite way to deal with it that mm -hmm. it makes it makes so little sense in, yeah. in the context of the chief of staff of the president of the United States. Yeah, it, feel, it feels very ginned up, basically. So Leo's wife is, is upset that, you know, he, has, he doesn't spend as much time with her, essentially, as she would like. And it's, he has been Bartlett's chief of staff Long before Bartlett was was president, he was chief of staff, or or if not that exact title, he was working closely with Bartlett ever since Bartlett was a governor and whatever position he held before that. It's implied that they've been working together for decades. And Leo, you know, is a workaholic. You know, he's very devoted to his job, but he views that because he's, the, the in theory, the most competent person possible for said job. Yeah, and there's... So his argument here is right for right now, for this time that I am chief of staff to the president, which, by the way, is a term limited job that I have to give up at some point for this time. Yes, my work is more important than the time I spend with you, which is a fair argument to make, in my opinion. And I would I mean, again, this is putting a lot of faith in you know people's relationships. I would hope that, again, when you're 65 years old and you have a grown child and you've been with this woman for your entire life, like... Shouldn't this have been, like, at least discussed or established? Right. One would point? have to assume that they had talked about this before Bartlett made the decision runner president and Leo said, yes, if you win, I'll be your chief of staff. I imagine him and his wife talked about, hey, you know, we'll have to move to D.C. and I'll have to be working all the time. They probably talked about this and came to some sort of arrangement on it. Um, so it feels, it feels again, like ginned up conflict basically for her to suddenly be like, mm, it's not working anymore, Leo. <laughs> well, and we don't, we don't so, learn uh, anything about her. We don't know anything about her. Right. She shows her face twice and is Right. Gone. She's brand new this episode. You know, we have never seen her before. 
uh, and we will not see her since <laughs> because she's gone. Yes. From there on out, she will no longer be part of Leo's life. <laughs> we get a small subplot of him trying to save the marriage by uh, buying a, you know... Nice pearl necklace. Nice pearl, right. Setting and up so, a fancy dinner. and Right, and this is a great little moment here where Margaret basically calls him out. It was like, oh yeah, just spend your way to, to relationship success. <laughs> you, you richy rich, you know, who makes 40 grand a, a pop on the lecture circuit, which she calls out specifically. Yeah. Uh, so solidarity for Margaret. Solidarity I love her. <laughs> um, so like, I heart her. This also, and again, this happens in context of one of the kind of the plot issues of the episode is these financial disclosure forms which right. are part of you know government transparency it's all public record what the actual you know cash compensation of these positions is and this right. is actually this is something that is important in a lot of leftist workplace organizing where it's like radical transparency is a direct threat to absolutely the capitalist order in a lot of places because then it's like well if people know how much money these motherfuckers are making then they're probably going to be upset. And I think we saw something, I can't remember the context of it, but literally this week, somebody in, I don't know, a national media setting came out and said like, well, if my employees know how much I'm making, then they're going to be mad. <laughs> it's like, well, no <laughs> shit, well, yeah. motherfucker. Like, you came around to the conclusion. Now take it maybe one step further and think about this systemically. And, right. you know, that kind of sums up a lot of the issues we have today definitely definitely um yeah it's a great it's a great point of you know certain government positions have to be transparent because there's laws saying that they must disclose the salary range the or the exact salary for the position whereas most private companies never never want that information to get out because it's going to give more power to the workers if they understand the way they're getting screwed yep well and Honestly, like a small personal anecdote here, the very few couple of times where there have been opportunities or, you know, just even like in casual conversation to speak to my coworker, I work on a big corporate job, whatever, to mm -hmm. speak with my coworkers, it has resulted in a lot of direct us going back to our bosses and being like, hey, I noticed that, um, you know, whoever is making this much money and this much money why, why are the rest of us not making this much money? And guess what? If you get a critical mass of people asking that question, all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, okay, we did some, and they, they'll couch it in whatever language is necessary, mm -hmm. but they'll come back to you and say, oh, we, you know, we reviewed our compensation schedules, and guess right. what? You're getting a raise. Yep. Mm -hmm. so like, Funny how that yeah, works. And even, even like the hint of that threat coming down to the bosses is like, it makes them flip their shit out, especially nowadays when it's been 40 odd years where that has completely vanished from the broader political landscape. Correct. Um, yeah, and hopefully we're we're starting to see. I feel like we're starting to see a groundswell of change on that of of a slow creep back of the idea of unionization and and worker rights and worker solidarity. And I'm hoping that's a a trend that we'll just continue to see because honestly, it's the only it's the only hope the working class has. And really, yeah, it's the only way forward. So. The middle portion of this episode is dedicated to the process of whipping the votes that they need to recover on this watered-down, relatively weak gun control measure that they're trying to pass through Congress. And for some reason, even though he is mentioned at one point for some reason that I can't remember, this doesn't really fall to, 
you know, at this point, the minority whip of the House of Representatives, even though, so just for canon purposes, um, currently the House is held by the Republicans and the Senate is held by Democrats with a Democratic presidential administration. In the fictional Bartlett. In the fictional Bartlett universe. Yes. Um, So the votes that they need, it doesn't devolve to, I don't know, the senior or ranking member of the House Democratic Caucus or whatever. It's, oh, it's down to the assistant chief of staff or the president to go out and bully these people. Yeah, uh, this is the thing that will happen a lot where Josh essentially it becomes the de- the vote whipper, even though that's the whip's job, um, where we don't, since we never have a regular from the legislative branch on, congressmen are always just kind of special guests. There's never... Uh, the only recurring, co- there's a couple recurring congressmen, like Toby's wife is a congressman, or a congresswoman, I should say. And um, uh, there's a, another couple of recurring congress critters. Uh, but since we don't have an actual main cast legislative member, Josh essentially ends up filling that role and being the administration's go-to on everything vote-related, whipping votes. And, you know, the... Um kind of the, the strong arming thing is appropriate to his character because as we had mentioned before um a lot of josh's personality is modeled on Rahm Emanuel. yes um which and this would uh, i can i can see the look on fucking rom's face going <laughs> yeah. out and scaring Do, up congress this totally yeah. <laughs> uh with the sunglasses and everything absolutely exactly. so we this, get this is a hundred percent Rahm Emanuel tactic here uh and it's a good tactic by the way so basically he goes up to one of these guys who's, who's flipped, and he says, like, look, you flip on this vote, and next and next time you're running for office, we're going to primary you. You know, we're going to come to t- Bartlett won your district better than you won your district, so we're going to come to town, we're going to pick some DA, we're going to have Bartlett himself give a speech praising the guy, and you're going to get blown out to hell. So vote with us, or you're done. And yeah, then and- drops the sunglasses down and, de- <laughs> and deal with it. deal with it. Up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's literally like, this is, and at the time, so shortly thereafter, when he first talks to this guy, it comes out that it's like, oh, people are pissed off that you did this, and like, this is bad, and like, sort of like a subtle implied wag of the finger mm-hmm. at Josh for going this way, but, but the, like, this is how it fucking works. Yeah, this like, is how you get shit done. Like, yeah, it's 20, I mean, frankly, it's 2018 as hell, fucking primary them all. Like, if yes. you don't get on board with the program... Sorry, you're not there, you know, if you're not representing your constituents, you know, there's a little bit of an attachment that we can look at this from being like, well, is is it in your constituents' interest or in the administration's interest or your party's interest? Like, there are mm-hmm. shades of gray involved here, but frankly, now, it's you just You never like, get the sense that these guys flip their votes because of their constituents. Uh, no, not or all. at least n- not all of them. Uh, you do get the sense from one of them, uh, which yeah. we'll cover in a little bit here. Yeah, and so, you know, Josh does this uh, with, uh, I don't even remember the guy's name, and then he meets with his former, or his former roommate, or like a yeah, former bro. brother. Yeah, bro. Totally, bro. Like, totally. Like, I'm in Congress like, now, bro. Isn't that awesome, bro? Like, yeah, I'm 29, and this rules. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, he strolls out of, like, the Fast and the Furious movie, but in a suit somehow. Yeah, and so they're they're talking, and he's like, and he's literally like, you, you dudes do not like help me out why should i help you out and again it's this this philosophy of like well political capital is great when it supports my agenda but how Mm -hmm. dare you use it to you know to call me out or threaten me which again just it's 
it's it's unproductive and just a bad frame of reference. Like if you believe in the concept at all, this is the thing with um, with the Obama administration. It's always like, oh, he's charging his political capital. Right. He's gonna unleash the kam- kamehameha of <laughs> fuck. I don't know how to say that word, but anyway, of, of political capital, kamehameha. Like we're charging it right now. Right. Yeah, the idea of political capital is absurd. You either get things done or you don't. You don't save up to get things done later. You know, it's that's not how. That's just not how things work. And especially because um, these guys are representatives, which means their term is two years long. Like, really, right. how how relevant are you going to save that for? Like, oh, in fourteen months from now, I need you. Like, that's the absolute limit of the timeline upon which you could be counted to right. do something. <laughs> And honestly, that's what makes Josh tactic make all the more sense. These guys are constantly in a state of running, so the only threat they understand is a threat to their running of for Congress. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, the last the one program. of these guys, the last one of these guys is because Josh screws it up, and like I guess again, the, there's an implied finger wag, like how dare you, Josh? So yeah, there, there's the implication we find out later on from the guy who talks to Hoynes is that all the congressmen are angry for being bullied, essentially. Yeah. They feel bullied. And then we get Leo deployed to do the job instead. So, you know, we mm-hmm. go another uh, another staffer up the tree right. here to talk to Congressman Mark Richardson, which is who is, frankly, the highlight of this entire episode. Yeah, Mark Richardson here um, does a very interesting job of uh, bringing up the counter-argument, and Sorkin kind of gives him the last word in a sense that to show that, you know, again, this is visual shorthand on the wor- on this show, where when you get the last word, you're the one who's right, really. Yeah, and the, his argument is basically just like, your, your shitty technocratic banning of a couple different types of weapons is completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Because, and he says it, I'll find the clip, that... God, Mark. The bodies being wheeled into the emergency rooms are black. These guns aren't going to Scottsdale, Mark. They're going to Detroit. They're going to Philadelphia. An entire generation of African-American men are being eaten alive by drugs and poverty. Well, I'm encouraged to hear the White House has discovered there's a drug problem in this country. I mean, your penetrating insight is matched only by the courage displayed in the authorship of this bill. Oh, Mark, for God. Not the three-inch grip, but the two-inch grip with the 40-gauge barrel and the 30-round clip, not the 20-round clip, with a three-day wait to run a check to see if you're crazy. As if wanting the gun wasn't a pretty good heads up in the first place. Oh, this is for show. And, you know, if <laughs> they're, they're not being gunned down by the generation, they're fucking being, they're being locked up for possession offenses, Leo. Right. Yeah, like, in that, where Leo is writing off this generation of drugs, that's what where the justice system is actually screwing this generation. Yeah, of, and... Uh, <laughs> it's just, the, the, you know, Mark Richardson is concerned in the way that represents his constituency. Like, right. this, none of the, none of the gun-banning, like, types of bills fix any of the underlying causes that he is concerned with that deal with his constituents it doesn't do anything to alleviate poverty it doesn't you know this is episode was filmed three years down the road from clinton right. destroying welfare reform so that's right the frame. so Ri- richardson's argument here is he's voting no because this doesn't even go far enough which is which is what he lays out for leo basically saying like look you can't just ban a few types of guns we have to really come at this we either have to like ban every gun 
which you guys aren't even talking about, or we have to like really focus on the underlying issues, which you guys again are not talking, are not talking about. about. <laughs> so his vote as a protest to say no, it's not even good enough, makes more sense than these other guys. We don't again we. This is why Richardson probably gets the best argument here, is we don't really get the sense of why of any of these other guys flipped, which is kind of what grinds this whole episode to kind of a mess. Yeah, and it's it's the a weird, um, it's a totemic choice of issue to go with, mm-hmm. too, because God knows, and we can dig in more on gun control and God, how fucked up this country is down the road in future issues, but it is not at all a stereotypical democratic versus republican issue if you actually look at the merits right but there was definitely this is a product of the times thing where back then if it was viewed as a very specific left-right divide amongst like you know the assault weapons ban kind of crowd okay and so for our final bit here uh let's talk about vice president hoynes who kind of brings this whole issue and episode to a close while also dealing with leo so after Leo and his wife have formally split, where she says she's going to a hotel, she specifically name drops the Watergate Hotel. Well, you see, it's a show about politics. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess that's what it's for, but it's just very weird. Like, I would just be like, I'm going to a hotel, not I'm going to the Watergate. Like, you have to drop the Nixon Hotel in there. And, uh, but yeah. anyway, so they're officially split. Leo is, you know freshly ravaged by it he goes to see Hoynes because he needs to talk about the law stuff Hoynes picks up on the fact that Leo looks like incredibly damaged and goes like hey Leo what's wrong and Leo's like uh my wife just left me (laughs) and uh Hoynes is like oh holy shit that sucks dude you know you don't want to talk about it let me get you a glass of water and so uh Leo kind of unloads for a little bit and Hoynes is like hey these things happen but then they get to talking the legislation issue, and Leo and Hoynes basically says, "Look, I've got it in the bag. I'll take care of it. You don't have to worry about it." Yeah. Well, and um, then kind of the like the, the the personal information stuff starts coming out about Leo, where um, this is actually um, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? It was presaged in the episode because on two occasions you notice Leo conspicuously drinking liquid that is not alcoholic right and taking like great pleasure in it in a way like in a kind of alcoholic way yeah it's 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 a good bit of acting from um, yeah it is it's like deliberately engaging in the act of drinking right like he expects the water to to have the quench the the effect that alcohol would have on him so this is a it's a decent bit of writing in the show but wait what we end up with Hoynes asking is like, hey, I'll, I'll fix all this stuff for you. But then he also asks, like, how long have you, is, has it been since you've been to a meeting, which is understood right. to be, you know, an AA meeting. Right, exactly. So we find out that Leo is a recovering alcoholic and that Hoynes is as well. Um, and that Hoynes actually hosts a meeting, a h- extremely high level AA meeting in the White House between him, like a couple senators, a couple other like chiefs of staff or other like political bigwigs, essentially. Uh, who are all t- way too prominent to go to just a random man-on-the-street AA meeting, obviously, uh, and invites Leo to this meeting so that, you know, he can get some help uh, without having to fall back to alcohol. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a it's a touching interaction. It's a nice moment. Yeah, between yeah the two it's, a nice, it's a nice moment between the you two. You know, we don't yeah. really need to. The, AA is sort of fucked up 
just kind of generally. Um, sure, and we can get into that more when they have the actual AA meeting, which happens in another episode, I think. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, we get a bit of it at the end here, but... And, and, you know, at this point, really, the foreshadowing is like, oh, a, a secret AA meeting, like, definitely not going to come back in the future. <laughs> like, to, to, right, To, yeah. like, cause bad things to happen. Yeah. Um, so, uh, then we also get this weird... Like, second-to-last scene, this weird comedy bit where the president has been completely absent since the speech in the beginning. Uh, turns out he was having some back issues, so he just decided to take some calls up in the residence. Uh, but he has taken some back pain pills and is feeling much better and decides to come down into the Oval uh, and surprise everyone while he's all hopped up on back pills. <laughs> Uh, and we get this bit, comedy bit where he's just, he's whacked out of his mind, and Leo asks him if he took the Percocet or the Vicodin, and he's like, I wasn't supposed to take both. <laughs> Por que no los dos? <laughs> yeah. So, Bartlett's having a good old time. And it's, it's, um, I mean, you have a note here that he's like, he relies on these, he's, he's just, you know, talking people up, being like, you're a great, you know, I, you're, you're such a great guy, but it's always, he's using words like, loyal and hardworking. <laughs> Yeah, it just, again, it's the Protestant work ethic thing that the show is built on, essentially. And where hard, hard working is built into every character. And that's the value system that it expresses. They, they might be a variety of other things. They might be funny, or squippy, or sad, or flighty, or whatever, but all of them are hard working. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's really just, it's fucking hard to write high characters <laughs> that yeah. interact with people in a meaningful way. But at least, you know, the show, you know, all the other characters realize, like, oh, okay, President's a little loopy, we all need to go put him back to bed. Yeah, and so we're, they're uh, looped in on the joke this time around, so it's not like they're... they're so it, it works. Yeah. It works pretty well. Uh, and then, so the final issue I'd like to discuss is that once they finally... So Hoynes has this meeting with this, like, real angry, crotchety senator, who I love, by the way. I love this character actor who is playing the senator. I don't know his name or anything, but he's just doing a damn fine job where he's just <laughs> biting into every line, and he's so angry, uh, I mean, and it's very believable. And just... <laughs> it's so good. Like, I could just, like he's Orrin Hatch, yeah. essentially. Like, he's just, just this, the crotchety oldest senator. You, you can just picture him having voted poorly on every issue <laughs> that's ever across his desk ever and it's great so anyway Hoyne strong arms this guy uh and and the other four missing votes uh into voting his way and this way Hoynes gets all the benefit and uh so our care our protagonists once they find out about this whole arrangement that Hoynes is getting all the win here even though they got the result they wanted the vote went the way they wanted this is something that will become a recurring thing throughout the show. We never get a good, solid win for our characters. They always get a Pyrrhic win, or a win that is bittersweet, or, you know, and it just shows these, this ethos of, like, compromises built into the process, and you never get a full, good win. Yeah, and uh, you don't even hear it in... Well, what's also, it's, it's bizarre because in spite of the fact that this keeps happening, they never moderate their, their goals or approaches to these things so mm -hmm. it's like well we're just resigned at the outset to not even trying at this right. point so you know why why bother or right uh there's another line where where when leo is talking to uh, mark the the black senator he says these things happen inch by inch 
you know, this just defense of incrementalism where things can only happen in an incremental way. We can't do big things ever because that's too risky. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, it's informed by a lack of political imagination that, frankly, dogs this country to this very day. Indeed. Indeed. Um... So that's just the final thing. Again, we'll see, we'll see that through. The only times I can think of big wins that happen are elections. That is the only time they're allowed to win big. And uh, is their fan their fantasy. And election. again, very telling. It's like this is this is our imagination of success. It's not right. passing legislation. Always a Pyrrhic win. It's not passing legislation. It's not representing your constituents' needs. It's not getting shit for your people. It's oh well, we got this guy into office. Hooray! And we're, uh, yep, and we're and we're doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're tweaking the tweaks. Uh, so that that kind of wraps up this episode. Uh, five votes down. Uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening and your continued interest. Uh, I am Wamplord and Dave. He is Stu, aka Gunshow Poophole, and this has been more like the worst wing. And we'll see you next week to discuss the next episode uh, entitled. Oh, damn it, I just had it. It was something in uh, the crackpot, five crackpots and, oh, and, and these, these women. women. These women. These uh, knives. These women. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, we'll everybody. We'll week. talk to you next week. Bye. all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on over.